From McKinsey & Company Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Most CEOs understand that innovation is a team sport. The challenge leaders face, though, is identifying the right combination of players within their organization capable of developing winning products and taking them to market. Joining us today to share their perspectives on how to put together winning innovation teams are Eric Roth and Matt Banholzer. Eric is a senior partner based in our Stamford, Connecticut office. He directs our work on innovation globally. Matt is based in our Chicago office and leads our global innovation delivery work. Both are co-authors of a recent McKinsey article, Fielding High-Performing Innovation Teams, which discusses some of the traits necessary for successful innovation. Eric and Matt, thanks for joining us today. Eric, let's start with a question about your research into high-performing innovation teams. What was the genesis of the research? Thank you, Sean. We're on a continuous journey to try to understand the dynamics of what makes for a top-performing innovator. In that journey, we've continuously come back to this topic, which is really organization and more specifically talent. You know, as we step back and think about where this fits in the overall framework of innovation that we often talk about, the the eight essentials of innovation, you know, mobilize that eighth essential is, is just one of the critical ones, which is all about the people, talent, culture, and organization of what supports an innovation operating model. And as we've looked across what defines a top performer from a bottom performer, one of the things is the difference between the, the what and the how. The what being, you know, what we find many companies focus on, which are the what I'll call the upfront of the funnel of innovation, the ideas. And what we found what really actually differentiates a top innovator from the rest is the how. How they actually architect their operating model, which has lots of elements for it, but in the end, one of the most critical things is the people, the people that you have actually in these operating models making the daily tasks of innovation happen. And within that context, one of the questions we often get is, well, how do I get the best innovation talent into my organization? And it's an interesting question because, of course, we all want to find the most talented individuals and the most high-performing individuals to drive some of our most important endeavors. But as we look at innovation what we're finding is there just aren't that many people who are natural innovators, particularly in large organizations. What we look for in an innovator is really someone who has a multidisciplinary view on their job and has a set of experiences which has taught them a portfolio of capabilities, which are applying almost in a general management-like way to the task of innovation. And the reality is there isn't as many people as we all like who understand and have those capabilities, that full set of capabilities, and more importantly, can operate within a large, complex organization and deploy them in such a way that they can have disproportionate impact. And so as we study this problem of people, what we found is that the individual is the wrong unit of analysis. It's actually the team, because in reality, especially in larger organizations, but even in some smaller ones, no innovation happens without a group of individuals coming together to support it. And so we've been fascinated by this difference between the question we get from clients, which is how do I find the best innovators or entrepreneurs or whatever you want to call them, and the reality of innovation happens in teams. And so this overemphasis on the individual versus the team was what really led to this research and this notion of if we start studying teams, 
what leads to a high-performing team? What is it about a successful innovation team that is different than an individual? And more importantly, how does a company assemble these teams and scale them? Because in the end, and if, you know, innovation at scale is what matters. It is the ability to continuously create new value propositions that create incremental, substantial value that matters to an organization. If you cannot do that over and over again, then innovation is an interesting activity. You might get some one-off successes, but you're not going to grow, create value at scale that, that's meaningful to uh, support a, a large organization. So coming back to this notion of it comes down to who are the people, what are the teams that you assemble, and how do you scale those teams across an organization to have that continuous positive impact uh, around innovation? Matt, can you share with us a little bit more about how to assemble the right team and specifically how you think about doing that over time as the team evolves? We actually think about the talent and the skills that people have. It's actually something that needs to be continually revisited across an entire innovation process from the beginning of the concept to how it's developed and eventually scales. And that's kind of interesting to us because a lot of times when we talk to our clients and individuals, either inside or outside the organization, a lot of times they're over-focused on the beginning. Like, let's just assemble the right team, we'll put them in the room, and we'll hopefully have them wear jeans and a brick wall area that looks kind of nice, hopefully something good comes out of it. But in reality, thinking about the talent mix across the entire life cycle of the innovation project, but also the innovation program is an important piece of this, right? And that's why we actually have this as a cycle in terms of saying, you know what, yes, it's really important to identify the right roles and the right people early on, and to Eric's point, it's how these roles mesh together into a team that has complementary strengths, which we'll talk to. But actually, it's thinking about the fact that what you need potentially early on in a project life cycle, where you're trying to identify the unmet needs or the pain points of available problems you're trying to solve, and then architect a value proposition to address that, is a different skill set than trying to iteratively drive a product through to the end minimum viable product or eventually to the market ready product as time goes on at scale. Those require things like complementary execution skill sets, for instance. And then finally, at scaling, again, that's another type of skill set needed to try and drive this along the way. And so we kind of wanted to take this holistic view because what that means is the team that you start with might be the right team, but it needs to shift and evolve over time as we go. And it means that talent management is going to be a continuous job with any innovation program, any innovation team, rather than a one-off thing where you try and set it and forget it. Matt, is there typically a common thread, a, a project leader who stays involved through all phases? Also, who's overseeing how the teams evolve as you move from early concept through scale? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So if we think about that, I think the first one, you do need some sort of through thread across the life cycle of a project, right? Because someone has to be holding the vision and really trying to own what this thing will become. We'd like to think about any innovation program, whether it's really big or small or a project, so needs to have its CEO, right? And CEOs tend to have a vision of over the midterm to long-term horizon. So there's going to be a small core of the team that is going to persist over time. I like to think about you're just potentially bolting on or swapping out some of the other talents and skills and roles around the periphery of that as time goes on. I think onto the second point of this around how do you think about the role of the organization to assemble and think about teams you know, we've seen a couple different models that work. Sometimes there's a very entrepreneurial, almost agile culture where teams are almost formed through a marketplace, right? And what you have is actually trying to have the innovation program or the innovation project leaders themselves keep an eye on their talent and view that as their core responsibility throughout. That doesn't necessarily work for every type of corporate culture or environment. Sometimes they actually try and make a hybrid between that and what I'll call a conventional human resources process where 
you actually have someone who's the human resources liaison, for instance, connecting the talent program of the overall mothership to the talent needs of the individual innovation concepts and teams. And they're actually playing a screening role, if you will, or a talent development role along in parallel to the team to make sure they're getting the right people plugged in as times go on. Eric, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, if I could offer an addition to that, and I'll challenge everyone who's listening with this question. We often see a big difference between innovation teams who originated the idea and are carrying it forward versus innovation teams that are assigned an idea. And I'll ask, you know, as, as everyone sort of thinks about their own organizations, think about the difference between the quality of the output and the energy going towards a given initiative if it was assigned to someone versus if it was their idea. And this is where the interesting challenge is because, yes, as Matt said, we find that talent deployment against an idea is one of the biggest challenges that most of our clients have, most organizations in general. They're just not able to put the right talent necessarily always against the best ideas. And so if you've got someone unbelievably passionate about their idea and want to take it forward, it doesn't necessarily mean they're the right person. And this is where our insights come in because we say, look, that's okay, but really understand what they are really good at. And how do we take those positives and wrap around them everything else that's required? Um, This notion of getting a team to support the success of innovation is really, really important. So we've done a lot of research around what really makes for a high-performance innovation team. Because what we've found is that, you know, if you go to Silicon Valley or or Berlin or or Singapore or Israel and look for the entrepreneurs, uh, the individual founders, overweight slightly on the vision and the collaboration, uh, and they underweight slightly on the execution learning. But, again, it depends on the individual. But in a corporate environment, what we find in the difference, uh, back to the comment I was just making, is for the person who has the energy for the idea, and this is where it often falls apart, they overweight on often the uncovering and the generating, and they underweight on everything else, particularly in a large organization where functional expertise or, or functionalization is actually part of the organization model because they haven't had that cross-functional experience necessarily, and they've put in a role usually to generate ideas. And so if they've been generating the idea, they don't necessarily have everything to execute it. So surrounding those individuals with everything else is really, really important. And what we find is that if you've been assigned an idea, then you often lack that vision, that product ownership, if you will, that Matt was just describing. And so you might be from somewhere else, your your background or your strengths may be somewhere in the execution oftentimes or perhaps in the collaboration. And without a rudder to steer an innovation forward in the vision, that that selling, generating, and uncovering that next level of insight, then initiatives fall off the track. So this notion of how do you make sure you've got the right teams and also the right people really starts at, well, where did that idea come from and who owns the vision for that idea? and then adjusting the team structure based on that to ensure it's got the highest probability of success and the right capability mix associated with it. Do you see any differences in terms of size and incumbency uh, in managing these teams? In other words, uh, many times innovators or small companies focus on one thing, but as you become a larger company and you're an incumbent, one would imagine that gives them more resources to try and field more and more diverse teams. How does that work in practice? Well, I'll give you my quick answer, then, Matt, you should jump in, too. I would say, yeah, in theory, a large organization should have more resources from which to draw upon. However, in practice, a large organization, I think, has more difficulties at redeploying those resources. And so, as we all know, the best predictor of next year's resource allocation 
is this year's resource allocation, where the average resource reallocation is between 5 and 10% year on year out. So in a world where opportunities are shifting but people aren't, how do you deploy the best people against the best opportunities? Large organizations really struggle with it, which is why I think agile has become such a buzzword and an aspiration for so many organizations. So what we do in the, mark, the work that Matt and I spend a lot of our time doing is actually helping companies put a new operating model in place that allows for this redeployment and reallocation of resources. So you do take advantage of all of that untapped talent that exists in a large organization. Where do you see the most important part that human resources can impact and encourage this collaboration in building high-performing innovation teams? And, and what's the role of HR in all of this? I have two reactions, and I'd love Eric to jump in as well. So I think one we'll talk about is they can play a really important job early in the process by helping the leaders of the company expand the lens they're using of what good talent is. A lot of times people think about, I'm going to put my A-list high performer into a talent program, which is great. You want to staff it with your best talent. But oftentimes a high performer, this goes back to my earlier point, to find someone who can with high reliability deliver the quarter may be different from a high performer for someone who's going to start something from scratch. It could be that high performer is a really good executor and a really good collaborator, but maybe they have a little bit less confidence in the visioning piece of the wheel. So having them understand the wider solution space needed to build the team is one important piece early on, and they're really thought partnering with the leadership team along the way. I think the other thing is actually later in the process, when especially when they're trying to expand the team beyond the core group, is how do they think about harmonizing the rewards and recognition and performance management processes of the larger company with what the innovation team needs. So a lot of times friction comes in when people are placed on an innovation team, they're told to move fast, to try things differently, told they're going to be rewarded for different outcomes, which could be learning, even though we don't like to use fail fast, other people use the word fail fast, I'll say, you know, learn quickly. But then they go and they get recorded on the same performance review as anyone else in the organization around did you deliver your numbers, et cetera. And so the whole idea of, A, you need to bifurcate performance management from someone on an innovation team from their old day job is important, so they don't feel like they have two masters. And then, B, making sure that you're not trying to force fit a square peg in a round hole so that they deliver what you ask them to, they still aren't punished inadvertently by a legacy performance management system is really important. And actually along underneath that, being very clear throughout the whole process that you have their back as the HR organization, that you're going to make sure that they are fairly treated and consistently rewarded for what you're being asked to do, it just gives them the liberty to take those risks, which is so important when you're launching a new startup type of environment. So I have a few comments on this, because I love this question. So one, it's hard for me to count on two hands the number of times where I've even seen HR involved in the innovation team's operating model. It's very rare, actually, that I've seen an HR group engage at the construction of an innovation team. I see HR talking about structures of innovation teams, like incubators and at the high level and org boxes and charts, and maybe a little bit in recruiting, although oftentimes we hear the comment, I found the right person for this, but we couldn't hire them because they didn't fit in our leveling system based on the rewards and the salary, the compensation we'd like to pay this individual. So I say opportunity for HR to jump in and get involved here. Now, at the same time, I'm not sure they have the tools. So we want to give HR the tools to actually get involved in the dialogue here. 
I mean, I can go through company after company, and these, by the way, many of these companies I could list would be on the top 50 list of the most innovative companies in the world. They're missing an, an angle here as to how to deploy the great talent they have in a much more productive way. And I could go through even a longer list of all the companies that wish they were in the top innovator category that aren't even thinking about talent. I was in a client yesterday. This is one of the biggest companies in the world. We're talking about competencies, uh, technical competencies required to support the innovation pipeline that they're doing. And no one had mentioned talent. And so I actually uh, I said, well, I'm going to offer a different competency here. How are we thinking about making sure we have the best individuals from around the world in this already very high-performing company, and how do we make sure we're assembling them in the right multidisciplinary cross-functional teams with the right inclusiveness and diversity to get the best mix of ideas and talent and experience against the highest potential opportunities. And it was like crickets in the room. And then there was an individual who said, look, this is not the job of this group to determine those decisions. Now, this is a high-performing team. And I thought that was an interesting observation, but not unfamiliar relative to what we see everywhere. And this is why I say it's an opportunity to get involved in the discussion. HR should not be about staffing teams in innovation. I think they can be about creating dynamic, winning, high-performance organizations with teams that generate value creation. And if you start looking at that as what's my role into actually accelerating innovation as an HR professional, they actually disproportionately should have the talent, skills, and, and uh, capabilities and experience to be able to really help in this way. And so I'd say huge opportunity underweighted relative to what we see across the world. In your article, you talk about something called a talent wheel. This includes several types of people. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of these types? Um, and first group was around visioning. And this is the idea around, hey, can you really uncover an unmet need? Can you really generate a value proposition or an innovation that meets that unmet need? And then can you really, like, sell it internally and externally to people to understand your vision in a compelling way and want to jump on to be part of the team or also actually try and use uh, whatever innovation you're going to deploy down the line? That whole idea of opportunity identification and generation is really important. Obviously, if you don't have that, you're not going to have an idea. The next group was around execution, right? And this is almost kind of the, the yin to the yang of this, where a lot of times people have great ideas, but then turning that into a reality is all around lining things up, knocking them down, and iteratively marching forward. And there's a phrase we like to use in the innovation practice here at McKinsey, which is this trippy notes from Edison, right, which is it's all about the 99%. So, you know, he said, um, you know, genius is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. you got to have both of those to invent the next light bulb, right? And so this is around making rapid decisions. This is something that actually a lot of large organizations have trouble with, making a decision and moving with it, particularly in the face of ambiguity. A lot of times people are hesitant to make a decision until more data comes in rather than saying, we actually are going to move forward, test, learn, and adapt quickly. And then this idea of moving forward through that uncertainty and analyzing the results is actually quite a complementary skill set. And then I think there's something around collaboration, which is how you actually make and glue these two things together. The idea that you have to do this as a team is important. We already talked about the importance of complementary skill sets on your team. You know, it's important to keep those people motivated. It's important to make sure that they're working together in an integrated approach because you need a lot of multidisciplinary talent oftentimes to run an innovation team. And you need to network, both within the company, especially if it's a large company. You know, you want to make sure the antibodies are kept at bay and you kind of turn people who might be skeptics into supporters. 
but then outside of the company, right? You've got to network with your partners, whether they're suppliers, channel partners, customers, et cetera, to make it work. And then finally, this is all about learning. You know, I think innovation is a lot about learning, either the product market fit, learning about what you need to do to do better next time. And if you aren't that kind of fast out learner who's willing to take and make mistakes and change, it's just going to be really hard to get your product where it needs to be. And you kind of see these points in a lot of all the different startup and innovation literature you read across the last 10 or 20 years. What's interesting, I think, to me, this is an observation here, is that different organizations, particularly large organizations, come from different areas of strength. Like, of course, the individual traits are going to start to swamp these out from the overall innovation culture of the organization, but it can give you hints. So, for instance, I also work with a lot of science-based companies, right? These companies that are trying to bring innovations to life from new materials or new innovations or processes. And they actually tend to be quite strong on the execution and collaboration front because if you want to get a scientific advancement done, you got to have a lot of people working together and you got to just march through those innovation gates that have been so popular the last few decades. But where they start to be a little bit weaker is this idea of how do we actually uncover the visions and the insights from our customers down the line and turn it into reality. I also do a lot of work with consumer packaged goods companies and they actually have the opposite problem where they know what they need to go through. They need to go into higher end segments. They need to try and innovate different types of products. They actually have a pretty good idea of what the consumer or the customer wants, but they start tripping over their own two feet about scaling these ideas into something that's substantial, and they don't have that kind of execution muscle along the way because it's not what they've identified as a priority for them um, outside of innovation. And so actually kind of thinking about how these different cultural norms can influence how you draw your team is also pretty interesting down the line as well. How can a small team be motivated to integrate these principles? So if you're a small team, how do you motivate them to integrate the principles when they still have a day job? And that's probably what their year-end review will be based on. Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question. So let me give you two thoughts. So first of all, don't give up. Second of all, there is a reality that a given team needs to be in an operating model that can support the team. A team alone in a large organization may, through blood, sweat, and tears, perspiration, or 99%, uh, persevere. It always happens, but it's not necessarily the most enjoyable process. The reason why I loved your question is because you said the last part, which is, what if it's my objective? We actually are finding one of the root causes to the lack of agility on innovation and the challenge of staffing this teams is the fact that people have day jobs. And what does that mean? Well, we've gone in and often when we do these assessments, we look at the individuals, call it the annual contract the person signs up for with their boss as to what they're expected to deliver, whether that's a review or an objective page or OKR or whatever format a given company uses. And what we're finding is these things are like stone tablets. They get etched in, and they don't get revisited until, like, the next review cycle. And however long that review cycle is, that person is effectively signed up to deliver what that is. So now let's play the scenario out. These are real-life stories. You are on a team, small, big, large, and you know what? Your innovation initiative isn't going so well, and maybe it needs support. Maybe it needs a pivot. Maybe it shouldn't exist. Who knows? So you are just kind of plodding along. But let's say whether it's the whole team or an individual on the team, you don't believe in it. What starts to happen? What starts to happen is that team loses its motivation, doesn't think it's a big priority, yet it's still responsible for delivering something. So it will spend resources and time, probably disproportionately a little less than they should, 
to pull something over the line because that's what they have agreed to deliver. And guess what? The outcome is not nearly what it could be. Now, more often than not, there was a pivot that could have happened. So back to your question around how can a small team succeed and be motivated, highlight the assumptions that you're testing and the learning that you've had and say, we just learned X, therefore we need to go do Y. Do we have permission to go do it? And you know what? If you don't, then be bold enough to say, let's just stop this because it's not a good use of resource. I should be redeployed on something else. Now, on the flip side, from a company standpoint, be aware of what you're asking your people to do. So if you're asking people to sign up for more than they should on an individual place or to stick with something longer than it should be stuck with, then shame on you, right? Go back and revisit, back to HR as an opportunity for roles, revisit how you set up these OKRs or these objectives for an individual. And then more importantly, look at it from a team standpoint. As you've set individual objectives, how much is about the individual pathway versus the collective success of a team, especially in relationship to an innovation portfolio or initiative? And so I think there's tremendous opportunity for companies to revisit this and actually, by revisiting it, open up a whole opportunity set of reallocation of resources against more, stronger, more successful, high-probability teams that that individual you just asked the question about won't have to suffer. They'll actually have the support in an operating model that's engaging them and also supporting them to accelerate their innovation or putting them on a different one that's a higher, better use of the resource. One related question to this is when you see these gaps, how does training and development fit in? Because, you know, in some cases, people might say, I'm not particularly strong in this area, but I want to get better. And so how do you effectively get that delivered? Or how do you see that effectively delivered? What we found is that pattern recognition experiential learning tends to overweight as a better mechanism with innovation than watching a video. That doesn't mean you can't watch a video or learn how to be a scrum, an agile scrum coach or all of these things. These are good skill sets. But actually doing is better. And then back to this notion of, what can organizations do? I think they can be a lot more thoughtful about the team's configuration. If I know someone has a slight weakness in one area, I can surround them and let's say I'm, I believe they're a high potential performer and they're just not a you know, real visionary or a salesperson in the sense of, of representing an idea well. I can surround them with people that they can learn from. They can be apprenticed. I can remix teams. Do you recommend things like skunk work, separate organizations for large companies that are trying to uh, foster innovation in a more focused way? They're always skunk works somewhere. Be careful of skunk works and what I call green box organizations, organizations set up specifically to do innovation. We see more often than not they become MVP organizations doing like simple demonstration products. The quick heuristic we use is how well are those organizations linked to the go-to-market vehicles? So can they actually get something to commercialization? More often than not, the answer is they don't have a direct path to a customer. In many cases, large companies will acquire small teams basically as aqua-hires. Are there any specific steps that they should take to bring those innovative teams into the mothership to make them more effective? First of all, I'd say a company needs to be really clear on why they're acquiring something. If it's an aqua-hire, then it's the talent. If it's a business model acquisition, it's the business, you know, and the technology, IP, there's lots of different reasons. So first, be super clear on why you're acquiring something. And then I always like to say there's pitchers and catchers. Uh, the pitcher is who's pitching the company to the larger organization, and the catcher is what's the mechanism to catch it. It's a little bit of a baseball analogy. If you don't have a strong catching mechanism for ventures in particular and, and really strategically understand where it fits into your portfolio, 
the likelihood that you're going to derive tremendous value out of that acquisition is quite a bit lower. Uh, we see lots of different theories and purposes. Some like to keep them separate. Some like to bring them in. Some have well-developed talent acquisition models that, that absorb them. There's all different kinds of, of ways to do it. So there's not one model, but my push would be have a model. Whatever it is, you know, the, the idea of scale is not always friendly to a small organization. You really have to be thoughtful about how you plug the pieces in and what you're borrowing and what you're not. And, you know, I've seen, quite honestly, all sorts of different models work. But the common thread is somebody, usually an executive, understands precisely what is helpful and what is not relative to the strategic intent of that acquisition and makes sure that it's handled very carefully to get the most out of it. Can you share how this relates to your prior research on the eight essentials of innovation? We've now been tracking these for a good seven years or so. This is the eight essentials of innovation. As far as we're aware, the only inside-out assessment of innovation based on the practices that we know drive innovation. There is an assessment, the innovation quotient, the IQ, which is an index which says, how do you perform relative to other companies? On these eight essentials, as I alluded to earlier um, and just mentioned, you know, we can now connect the eight essentials to shareholder performance uh, in a way that hasn't been done before. So now we have a bit of predictive value as we assess you and compare you. We can say, well, you know, we actually can see how much value you're likely to create on a curve. Talent in particular obviously appears, as we've said, across all eight, right? You, can have, you need the right talent across all eight. And it's particularly as you think about high-performance teams, that fast and effective scale-up, the, the, the higher performing teams you have, the faster and more effective the scale-up is going to be of getting things through the various development processes that you might have in, in a multi-pipe organization, some incremental, some more challenging, breakthrough disruptive. You're going to need different types of teams with different configurations and skills to move those along. Some will have to deal with a lot more ambiguity, as Matt said. Some will actually have a lot more certainty associated with what they're, they're taking forward. So that's one area. And then the, the, certainly the mobilized organization and culture, well, that, that is all of those soft and hard levers and things that go around the operating model, uh, which is the thing that links all of these different eight things together, which makes the organization hum. Talent is everywhere. Team configuration, for sure, against an individual initiative. But then the broader culture is going to be a summation, if you will, of all these high-performing teams. If you are an organization with lots of high-performing, successful innovation teams, you will have an innovation culture. It will be dynamic. It will be exciting. It will be a talent magnet, and it will be one of the best companies in the world to work for. Thank you. Eric, Matt, thanks for joining us today. A transcript of today's podcast will be posted on McKinsey.com under the Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, where you can also find links to previous episodes. There you will also find a copy of Eric and Matt's recent article, Fielding High-Performing Innovation Teams. And if you'd like to receive updates featuring our latest insights, you can sign up for email updates on our website, follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy, or connect with our community on LinkedIn via the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for joining us.